I've been challenged lately by a book called Pagan Christianity. It's a, a book I'd, I'd encourage you all to get and read. It's just how we as Christians and believers get to some of the conclusions of how we do church and why we do church. And even that statement itself, do church, is, it doesn't make any sense to God whatsoever. Um, in the early church that ever did church, they were church. And so some of our language is changing. Some of our approach to how we gather together is going to change. Um, I believe in a participatory uh, service or a meeting. I don't even want to call them services anymore. And so tonight I want to give you the freedom. If the Holy Spirit is moving on you and has you have a word or you have a thought, uh, we, are, we are beginning to experience what I believe is what the early church was like, where it wasn't just uh, sermon-based. You know, a lot of people go to church and say, how was church? Oh, the sermon was awesome. Oh, the pastor was on fire today. No, no, how, when they used to ask that, it would be, no, how are you? How are you? See, that's what church is really about. It's how are you doing? How, how, how did you participate? How did you get involved? How did you share your gifts? How did you grow in your anointing? How did you expand the kingdom? It wasn't about the pastor. It just wasn't. It wasn't about a sermon. It wasn't about worship primarily. All these things took place, but we've, we've kind of gathered them into our basket in a pagan way. And not that all the, all the pagan practices were necessarily evil. It's just that it doesn't come back to the original foundation of what the church was intended to be. Most churches were more, no more than 35 or 40 people gathering all throughout the city of Jerusalem in homes, breaking bread together, waiting on the whole... Listen, this was a Holy Spirit-led movement. And, and that's what my heart is, guys. You know, not Holy Spirit weird movement, a Holy Spirit real movement where you listen and you participate and you read and you say, man, I've got something to offer. I really have a word. I feel like we're supposed to go this direction. I feel like this is what the Lord is saying. So I want to give you permission. And this would, this is like going against every college class I ever had, right? If you're, I mean, a pastor to say, I give you permission to be engaged in the meeting. Okay? Thank you, Josh. <laughs> I, I give you permission to engage in the meeting. Last week, if you were here, it was like our first sort of impromptu way of getting you involved, asking you questions. Look, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me some stuff, but I'm not limiting it to me. I know he's given you things, deep things. I learned last week. You're like, what'd you go to church for? So the pastor can learn. So that you feel not just sitting there passively, but engaged in the body, engaged in the function of what a meeting was supposed to be. Does this make sense? Okay. So I want, I want to invite you. I know this, I, 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 I don't want to freak you out. I don't want to prod you into doing something you don't feel comfortable doing. But I also want to invite you to participate at any time. Hey, man, well, I got a thought. Or I got a thought. Or what do you think about this? Um, because it's not supposed to be sermon-centric. Come on, somebody. This is a sacred cow, isn't it? It's not supposed to be sermon-centric. It's supposed to be body-functioning, functioning together. Do you notice in our community dinners, you know, there's no interruption and say, now we're going to have a time of worship. Come along, children. Let's play some songs, right? There's no interruption of saying, hey, I'm going I'm to interrupt whatever God's doing in your little world right now, and I want you to listen to me because I've got a devotion for you. I do that intentionally. I don't want to interrupt what God is doing organically. Does this make sense? 
And so I want to extend that to our Saturday morning, our Saturday uh, evening expressions. Okay. Now that is a two-way street. Okay, my friends. If I'm reading first, uh, uh, first Philippians. <laughs> if I'm reading Philippians, I want you to read Philippians. If I'm prepared. I want you to be prepared. Does it make sense? Now, it doesn't mean we can't come and the Holy Spirit will, will speak to us as we're walking through. A lot of times that's just sort of impromptu and that'll happen. But I, I also want you to say, okay, pastor, if you're going to invite us to engage in this process, then I'm going to take the time and I'm going to, I really want to be engaged. I want to be a part of it. Does that make sense? Is that a deal? Okay, let's go. Philippians 1, 12 through 26 is what we're going to try and tackle tonight. Again, we don't have to hurry. We get stuck on one verse. We get stuck on a conjunction. I don't care. You know, we'll, we'll just stay there. So let's just start tonight. Oh, first of all, Father, Holy Spirit, we prayed earlier that you would orchestrate this meeting. You would be the orchestrator of this meeting. And that your people would not only learn and grow, but also participate and help me, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And we talked about this last week. Paul, as we knew or know, was probably in prison in Rome uh, when he wrote the book of Philippians. And because of my chains, I emphasize because there, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All right, let's break this apart a little bit. Perhaps God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. Paul was never inhibited, inhibited by his chains. As a matter of fact, he, was, he said, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of my chains, because back then it would be, a, it'd be, well, it'd be like today. Oh, you have a record? Oh, God. Or you were thrown in prison? Oh, man. Or you were, you know, you were arrested? Oh, gosh. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of my chains. It's because of my chains that a lot of you have gotten the freedom to share the gospel. Here's a couple questions. How do we respond to a tough circumstance? How do you and I respond? And I'll just give you some background real quick. Sometimes I allow my my present circumstance to determine my future. Is anybody like that? You know, if I have a bad day, I, de- I, I like my whole world comes crashing down on that day. Instead of looking into what God's promised me for the future, because God, isn't a, God doesn't get wrapped up in your present circumstance. He is always looking forward into what you're walking through. He's using your present circumstance to get greater glory. Anybody have a story or situation or Carl? I think it's important. And what we do is we, we like to suffer in silence and it's a very individualistic society that we are. I think as a church, you know, if you're if we're going to encourage other people, you have to be able to tell your story and not be afraid to tell your story. It's good. And not be able to you know afraid to say where you're at. Yeah. And what's going on. Because it's bad. Yeah, I think, uh, to your point, I think sometimes we get embarrassed by our situations and we don't, and I know you know this, but every time we bring something to light, it brings us to freedom. And it not only brings us to freedom, it brings others, others to freedom as well. Isn't that good? 
But it's, it's exactly the opposite. The enemy wants to make you believe that if you keep it in, in darkness and hidden, that that's where your true freedom is. In actuality, it's exactly the opposite. Good point. Um, we can't read, uh, sometimes we get discouraged doing things we share or do it or don't do what we feel like God lets us share. Yeah. We don't see any great change, so there's no, nothing that, that came of it. But as like, it happened just a couple weeks ago where, you know, I went through brain surgery eight years ago, and somebody just last about three months ago came up to me and said, you know, I don't know you that well, but you were sharing with somebody in the, in the lunchroom about what happened to you, and I wanted to know more information about that, because I'm facing a similar situation. Like, you don't know what your story is. That's good, right. Right, right. Or it has a something else. It's good. It's good. It's hard to put that in perspective, and maybe some of you can add to this, but it's hard to put that in perspective when you're in the circumstance. You agree? Don't agree? Yeah. I know for me, it's very hard for me to get correct perspective when I'm in a tough circumstance. All I see is my tough circumstance. Is that good? I highlighted because, because I wanted to address it here, is because of your chains... Other people are encouraged. In other words, in spite of what you've been through, just as Carl said, in spite of what you've been through, in spite of what you're going through, can people be encouraged in your present condition? Now think, think about this. Just let this marinate a little bit. Paul said, because of my chains, other people have found boldness to proclaim the gospel. That's fascinating to me, isn't it? I, I, don't, I don't know that I clearly understand And we could say, because of your bondage, I'm encouraged. Sorry, sucks for you. (laughs) Because of his chains, because of your chains, because of your bondage, perhaps someone else is encouraged through how they're watching you. And this is what I believe is really the key. And help me here. Is it because of your chains that others are encouraged to share the gospel because of how you're responding in your chains? Yeah, go ahead. Are you just saying, yeah? God, that's good. Your posture. You know, some people walk around, their head is down, they're depressed, they're, they're angry, they're frustrated. That doesn't encourage me to do, I don't want to be a Christian if that's a Christian. You, you, you tracking with me? But if I can see someone going through hell... And they're still not faking it. In spite of what they're going through, they have hope that passes understanding. A peace that transcends any situation, a peace that transcends any argument, a peace that transcends any disagreement, any internal um, issue that we might have, it transcends that. And I promise you, whatever's going on inside will show here on your face. Go, Ree. Yeah. I do feel encouraged when someone is struggling and they're real about their struggle. Like, I'm angry, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, and, and I don't have the answer, and I don't feel like God's with me. And I, you know, because, yeah. because there's still the realness of it, because we're going to be real with God, and yeah. we need to be able to be real with each other. That's good. And that encourages me sometimes because it's not like, yay! Like, right. Great, right. Right. Um, I'm 
real enough to say, hey, this is where I'm at, and hey, I've been there too, or it's okay to be there and be real and, and not feel really like that's good. good. I mean, not staying a pity party. Right. That's that's good, and and you, to your point, Paul later on addresses this, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it's so true. I mean, it's okay. We need to give each other the freedom to be free in our crap, right? I can say that. Yeah, we we uh, <laughs> we we have to give ourselves the permission to say, man, I just. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I'm, I'm angry with God. I mean, you've heard me say from the pulpit, I'm just ticked at God. He's probably ticked at me. I don't know. That's what I feel, right? Um, but it's in that, it's in, it's, I'm telling you guys, believers have something that unbelievers don't, and it's a four-letter word called hope. It doesn't matter. And that's why it's so important to stay engaged with each other. That's why it's so important to stay connected in community. Hope comes from one another. The joy that you share when you're down and your face is still up, and, but you're honest, and Rhiannon's uh, uh, hope in the midst of garbage is what gives me hope. But that can only happen in the context, get this, of community. You have to stick together. That's the body functioning as it should. Last week, Elizabeth said that, you know, we, we have uh, the toes hurting. I want my thumb to hurt. I want someone to enter into my grief. I want someone to enter into my pain, but I also want to invite people into my joy. Right? So I, I think because that word because, it's like in spite of, in fact of, during, because of my chains, people are more apt to be bold to share the gospel. I think you're dead on. I think it's our posture, it's how we deal with things, and it's the realness of how we deal with things. You're so right. It's not the fakey-fakey, which I don't think any of us are, are in here. I mean, sometimes I fake it. I'll just be honest with you. Now, how's it going? Great. Inside, I just want to punch you in the face. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, you know, there's sometimes, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I'm faking it. I got my mask on, and I'm pastor, and it's all good. But you know what? So are you. You're pastor, too. It's a priesthood of all believers. And I think the reality of the body of Christ is this, that we can be honest, secure with one another enough to not judge one another when we're destroyed. Say, man, I've been where you are. Let me enter into that with you. I'll walk with you through this. So good. Anything else before we jump? I just think it's knowing who our circumstances don't change who he is. That's good. Our do not change who he is. It's good. Yeah. yeah. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> You got some juice on that. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I just I think that there's so much truth in what Rihanna is saying. Mm-hmm. And but our bits are getting angry with the Lord, are not understanding. He expects all that because he created us and we're human beings. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change our need for him. Mm-hmm. And so even though, yeah, I don't feel like having a good posture today. And yeah. My yeah. Yeah. I think in the realness and the rawness, like Rihanna was saying, of what we're going through, we still carry 
for the carriers. If, if, if we're followers of Jesus, yeah. we carry that hope. We carry that um, even when it's ugly. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Can't help it. Yeah. Because of who he is in us. It doesn't change who he is. That's good. And if he's in us, then he's in us. That's good. Yeah, ca- carrying ugly God. <laughs> Maybe that's not theologically correct. Go ahead. So true. You know, we, we say here at, at, at Keystone, you know, we want you to, more than a service, more than a sermon, more than whatever, I want you to feel loved. And sometimes we feel like, you know, we have to go love you. And then it dawned on me during worship tonight that I can't love you like God loves you. And, and my, my prayer now is that when you come and you come to in a community that you truly feel how God feels about you. Not how I feel about you. But how do you do, can you sit and be at peace and know how God feels about you? Go, Carlin. So, I think this is one of those beautiful things that comes out of Scripture and then for all the stories that we don't always, you haven't preached to the infantry, but it's this, and then that is that tough times redefine success and realign priorities. Mm-hmm. And so just when you're in tough times, all of a sudden, I, I think about this all the time with Stephen, first, the first recorded martyr in Scripture. Um, we, nowadays, the way that we judge success in the Christian world, yeah. we would say it was a total failure. Right. Because he preached and he killed people. Must have really that sermon. Right. So, but in all, in all reality, it, it was one of the biggest things that started the launch of the gospel. Sure. And then I think about this when, you know, I had a really bad accident, broke my back, was laid in the hospital. It realigned my priorities. Mm. All the things I thought were so important, all the things I thought were success, all the things I thought were so needed that I had to do, didn't matter. And so I, I think that part of the message and how we respond to tough circumstances is, is everything that's being said, being real, being genuine, having hope. But also the realignment that happens in us that wouldn't happen if everything just weren't each and well. Right. So we, we, we need ourselves to be realigned. Right. We need our, our priorities realigned. We need, we need success redefined. It's good. We, we define it by one. We have one scope and one gauge. God has a totally different way. Sure. That's really, that's rich. Yeah, no one would think that Paul is a huge success while he's getting beaten and in prison. We would all said, oh, you must have done something wrong, or you probably deserve what you're getting, right? Well, if you just obey, right, if you just submit to the Roman government, then you wouldn't have to, this to deal with. But in essence, Paul was actually following every single step of the way. Look, he was human. We're going to see his humanity in just a minute. But he was human, but we also know that he was passionately following Jesus to the best of his ability. So sometimes following Jesus to the best of our ability, you're going to end up with a broken back. And people will say, well, you must be out of God's will. Or you'll have 20 people gathering in a service. And you say, well, your church, your church must be dying. And I've never, listen, I've never felt more freaking alive. I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're on to something. 
And it's not about, it's, I'm not even going to say it anymore because I say it every week. Okay. I'm telling it's, it's about life together. It's about entering into each other's real pain and real joy, real victories and real defeats. And I, I just feel like the, the Western church has lost that. There's just no way you can do that in, our, in, in the current setup, in the current pagan way we do church. Do church. See? All hearts well. Isn't this good? You know what's fun about studying a book together? Is you study it in total context. Right? We just don't pick out a verse and say, oh, I'm going to put that in my refrigerator and live by that the rest of my life. No, in context, it makes so much better sense. Because of my chains, because of my circumstance, because of the pain I've walked through, Others now have the confidence. See, that's upside down, isn't it? You would think because of my victories, because of my huge rallies, because of all the people I healed this week, because of my amazing ministry, because of my tour bus and my private jet and my 10,000 member church, people have confidence to share the gospel. It's exactly the opposite. Because of my real struggle, because of my life story, because of my chains, people have confidence. It's crazy. Tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, I think, I think about myself mm-hmm. right here. But when we're open and we're a little ashamed, then you know what it's about? The Savior who saved me, who walked me through it, who yeah. saved my heart. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I didn't change the way Paul was in prison, so obviously God didn't come right down there and sure. out of the circumstances. But it, he says it's, it was evident that the whole palace guards saw the miraculous Savior at work. And, and for me, that's my goal is that God he would see that I don't have it all together and all my stuff is my stuff, but the Savior is what gets me through what I have. And nobody can see that unless I'm willing to share my You know, on a broader scope, uh, that's individually, obviously. On a broader scope, let's say corporately, let's go 30,000 feet. The church always prospers under persecution. I'm not trying to prophesy anything on us, but I, I think we need a good spanking. Have you ever been a kid? Your kids, Aaron, you're like, you just need a good spanking. That's just, the only thing that's going to solve your problem right now is my hand in love across your bottom, right? I mean, that's just how I feel. Like that, if we want to see true, revi- true revival in our own hearts and in our, our body of Christ, it's going to come with a spanking. And uh, we've talked a little bit about that, obviously. You know, if the church continues to try and build on a pillar of power 
and not on a pillar of grace, we will collapse. And it's coming. And we need a lot of this. So if you're thinking about buying a home, think about small bedrooms and big kitchens. I had that thought today. You know, we lived, I grew up in a 200-year-old Victorian mansion in upstate New York. And it had the widow's watch on top and the big wraparound porch. He had a huge carriage barn, a dairy barn, a smokehouse, a well house. A, and we had all these little outbuildings, a little pond. It was on five acres, surrounded by sunflowers. He used to grow sunflowers for some reason around us. And what I noticed about the, 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 the design of the home was that there was a massive parlor with a massive kitchen, but the closets in the rooms were very, very small. And I thought, man, I wish I had a bigger room. Well, in essence, people back then didn't think about where they slept because you only slept there. They thought about where are we going to entertain? Where are we going to gather? See, when you get, when God shifts your mindset to the proper church perspective, everything changes. My heart now isn't to live in a ritzy subdivision. I want dirt, man. I want land. I want outbuildings. Darren and I talk about this all the time. I want a fa- I want some farm. I want, I gotta get some, but it's for the context of gathering. You understand what I'm saying? And so every time when Teresa and I built our home in Indiana, I've said this before, it was in the context of how can this home effectively serve our life group? Big foyer, big gathering place, big kitchen, smaller bedrooms. Does that make sense? Big kitchen, Small bedroom. All right. Oops. Every time I hit this button, I think that's supposed to move. Okay. Verses 15 through 18. If you get your Bibles, you can make notes of stuff, but I obviously put it up here for your convenience. It is true, he says, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Do you hear? I mean, listen to what he's saying. That some people are out there preaching the gospel to stir trouble up for Paul. In other words, they're saying, if Paul was truly following Christ, he probably wouldn't be in prison right now. If Paul was really in God's will, he probably should be free speaking the gospel and teaching and doing his missionary work. But as it is, he's in chains, and that cannot be the gospel. That cannot be God's will for him. Paul has this amazing epiphany and says, whether or not they preach it to my demise or for their own selfish ambition, right? Ezekiel talks about shepherds who shear their sheep for their own prosperity. And the Bible says that Jesus says to them, God says to them, woe unto you. In other words, I mean, you don't want to hear God say woe. That's bad. Paul's sort of saying the same thing, but he's like, look, I've come to realize, does it really matter? If they're preaching, thinking that I'm out of God's will, does it really matter? I'm confident in the fact that I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. Does it really matter what Pastor so-and-so is saying about me? 
as long as Christ is being preached, does it really matter? I mean, we could spend three weeks on this verse because of this. The church has become so divided. And who says what? And what their motives are? What Joel Steen's saying? What Creflo Dollar's saying? What so-and-so in Hillsong saying? Like, come on, church. Get your act together. Look, I don't, know, I don't know that I agree with everything that those guys say, but I can tell you this. God's using them. People are coming into the kingdom because of them. People are getting saved and they're being rescued from the streets. And Carl uh, uh, Lentz is doing amazing things in New York City. And, and, and every time I feel like someone starts speaking something against someone, I'm like, oh, that guy must be doing something good. I'll bet you they're doing something right. Not, oh, let me jump on the bandwagon and, and jump on the curse band, you know, and say, oh, you guys are all screwed up too. Listen, the best thing we can do as believers is to say, look, we don't have to agree on anything, but there's unity and diversity. And we, we can say, boy, you're on that side of the aisle. I love you. I'm on this side of the aisle. I love you. We're going to join together, man. We're going to believe God for the best because I believe God in you and you believe God in me. Could it be that even those with false motives are being used by God to further the gospel? <laughs> Go, Mike. What are your thoughts? No? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I don't Jeez. Well, we've stumbled across that manuscript a couple times. I can't pull a reference or anything help me, but in the Old Testament, it's talking about the evil being offered by God, or the, the things, you know, some of the motives of men's heart that are evil still be, um, being, yeah, guided by God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, okay, Joel seems to make $40 million a year, and, you know, whatever. But for that one, for that person who sits down with you over a cup of coffee and tells you, I read Joel's book and I repent it. Sure. I, I know. That's worth every dollar man makes. Yeah. And God's kingdom. Yeah. It's not about, and it's not monetizing Sure. Yeah. I think we, I think we said it in, in our grace message that this is, it's going to set us free, right? I'll say it again. If you'll take yourself off the seat of judgment and put God there, it'll just set you free. Let God judge, and we bless. Who are we to judge someone else's morals? Who are we to judge someone else's values? And it's only, it's only accentuated by social media, right? Because someone can fly a helicopter over someone's house. You don't even know if it's his house. I mean, it's just a joke. You know what I'm saying, though? I mean, you could say, oh, it's Joel Osteen's church. No, it's not. That's, that's Muhammad Ali's house. Oh. Well, it says on social media that that was his house. Oh, okay. You guys, I mean, it's so many times like, it's like the Abe Lincoln quote, right? Have you seen that meme? Abe Lincoln's on Facebook. I love that. And Abe, you know, it says, uh, don't believe everything you read on Facebook, Abe Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and people are like, oh, well, Abe Lincoln said we shouldn't believe everything's up to social media. 
We judge so quickly, and Paul's saying that if you'll just relax and let God be the judge, look, I'd rather be somewhere else than in chains and being beaten every day. Look, I'd rather be somewhere else than eating bread and gruel every day. I'd rather be someone else, but because I'm here, I recognize that God's sovereignty, God's sovereign plan, I place my confidence in him. Someone else wants to use this situation to further the gospel at my expense? Right on, brother! You don't even know. You don't even know God's using you. You think you're against me? Ha! Hey, remember the disciples? There were some guys baptizing some other guys, and they were part of Jesus' crew, and the disciples got all ticked off. You remember this story? And they're walking around like, Jesus, man, what's going on over there? She's like, look, man, they're not against us. They're for us. They're baptizing people. So what? I mean, doesn't that set you free? So what? Oh, somehow we, we become the Christian police on the planet. Every, everybody that does something, uh, something that doesn't quite line up with our philosophy or our theology, man, we want to write a blog about it. There's, there's like blog sites that state watchmen on the wall. Or, uh, that's not it, but you know what I mean. There's this like, I'm the watchman to make sure everybody is theologically correct. And they, all they do all day long is find magazine articles or messages preached by pastors that are predominantly large and successful and try to tear apart their theology or tear apart their character. Paul's saying, leave it alone. If there's anybody who had a, a legitimate complaint about a circumstance, it was Paul. And he's like, Dude, guys, leave it alone. Let me encourage you tonight. If, if someone's, just don't, the Bible says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. First Timothy says, don't engage in vain and repetitious conversations. They only lead to evil. And that's like God's talking. So, so we, we find so many times we're engaged in these ridiculous conversations that don't mean anything. They don't go anywhere. And it's just exacerbated by social media. Any thoughts on this? So good. So good. Rachel, does that really ever work? And obviously you're... Um, teacher and with children, does it really ever work? If a child says, oh, my way is the best, of course. Right. (laughs) Of course. But what does work? What's the, what's the alternative to that? Cooperation. Man, great word, cooperation. So good. So good. It's so good. And, and that is a perfect example of what the body of Christ should be like. Every time somebody gets on a soapbox and says, I'm right and you're wrong, we've just lost our mission. It's about coming together in cooperativeness, a co-op, and saying, look, I don't have all the answers, and this is why I love this, because I love learning from you. I love hearing your heart. Don't we trust God enough to think God's going to tell me that on one occasion 
so I if I work so hard to convince them that I'm right, that I must be convincing them that I'm right versus what God's mm, it's good. And so it, the conversation that he has with me is like just trusting them maybe where they're at is where I where that where they're at is where I want them to be. Yeah. Right. And so if we just trust the Lord with people, even if we see, you know, we, we see thinking that they're wrong or their theology's wrong or their walk with the Lord is wrong. You know, God, God is the Savior. And I am not. And yeah. God is like, I am not their Savior and I'm not their answer. And their journey is with Christ is their walk with Christ. And it's probably not going to look exactly like mine. Because you know what? There's just one of me. Just like there's just one of you. And God talks to each of us so personally and so favorably yeah. that we have to trust Him that maybe they don't see things the way I do, but that doesn't make it wrong. Right. It's good. Cooperation leads to a relationship leads to unity. And the unity is what Jesus is praying about. Exactly. Yeah. Still doesn't mean everything's right. Yeah, that you know we play perfectly and that we're just you know opposite sure. of each other. But it means that we know the end goal is mutual development. And I love that verse that love covers a multitude of sins. So if we just simply love one another, I won't be focused on your faults. I'll actually be focused on how we can cooperate together. Because that's really, true love doesn't point out all of your deficiencies. True love accentuates your strengths. Isn't that good? What do I see in you? I'm so proud of you. You know, I, I, I screw up all the time, and yet I feel like the Lord is just downloading this message in my heart. Yeah, but I love you, man. Really? But I just screwed up because I am a performer. I am a pleaser. I've, you know what I'm saying? That's how I grew up, and you've got to work your salvation out, right? So that means it, what that was taught to us is you had to go door to door and get somebody saved today, or you could not go to sleep. You know, you had to fast every week. You had to to, to do all these all these things and stuff to please your father. In actuality, he's just saying, man, if you'll just be the who I've created you to be, that's what I love, and it covers all my sin. Catherine, go. Thank you. Um, when I first was reading this this week, and you talked about people preaching wrong motives, but still getting the right result, I felt like it gave me a freedom to look back at my past and be like, I really screwed it up, but God took care of it anyway. Man. Like, really, I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm in good theology, you know, but because it's a process, it's a journey, yeah. it we are down to the moment we're born with everything right. Right. And so all those times you screw up, all those times you think you have the best answer and you don't, and all the times you walk out of fear and say things you shouldn't, but you're not, um, you're more combative than, you know, helpful. Sure. Uh, God works in that. We, he's not limited by our faults. Mm-hmm. He works through our, mm-hmm. another story, he went on a mission trip down uh, near the Mexico border, and he didn't have the Spanish. He's pretty sure he told the guy to go home and get drunk. Nice. But he meant to say go home with the wife. Oh. Um, but God's got it. Sure. Yeah. God can do whatever he wants. 
Yeah. So good. So good. I love it. I, I, Catherine, to your point, we, we, Teresa and I use this verse all the time is, is present your plan unto the Lord and he will direct your path. And, and I think some, to some degree that's what you're saying is when we say, okay, God, this is what I know to do. And God's like, cool, that's a great plan. Now let me direct it. And I always think of like a director of a movie and he takes a script that a writer wrote and he directs it in the way that he has a vision for. So we have a plan. We should have a plan. There's nothing wrong with a plan. Like you said, it's good to process our theology and work it out and, and figure it out. But just because you have a plan doesn't mean that it's the right one. And guess what? God's okay with that. All he asks you to do is present it to me. Just, just here's, here's my script, God. I think I wrote this right, but here you go. Oh, okay, well, let, let's move Act 2 over to Act 1. Act 3 is going to be shifted to the end. You're not going to get quite what you thought here, so we're going to do a little loop and a surprise. Present your plan. Let him direct it. My friend Steve used to tell me this all the time. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He would say, walk your walk. And if you screw up, God will make an adjustment. Relax. But this is instead of three. Just relax. God's in control. Even if my motives are screwed up. Even if it's me screwing things up. God's in control. Trust me. We screw up a lot. God's in control. Johnny. Is uh, encouraging and discouraging for me at the same time because uh, when, you, when you look at what they were going through in that, in that time period and what we're going through in this time period, yeah, uh, encouraging that they uh, were experiencing some of the same uh, issues that we're experiencing today, uh, and that uh, you know, the, the infighting in the church and the division and um, the, the church problems have different things going on. Um, that, that we're experiencing now, discouraging that it exponentially uh, larger than sure, sure. Sure, sure. Um, and so I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, it's just interesting to me that we have, uh, you know, we I think we look at to that that time period, the church in Acts, mm-hmm. as, like, mm-hmm. as being, you know. Kind of the, the idealistic uh, church, um, that, you know that you know everybody was, everybody was, was together, yeah, unified, yeah, and that wasn't necessarily the case. Sure, as, as we sure, of course. So, exactly, we're dealing with the same same kind of thing. Yeah, that uh, they were dealing with then, but also discouraging. So this may help you um, sort of justify. Has anybody heard the fable of the emperor's new clothes? Right? You've heard that? Um, I have this statement. I'm like, I'm not mad at the emperor for being naked. I just want to help the dude get dressed. So that's kind of the church today, right? We, we, we have been bamboozled to thinking we've got this amazing outfit. And these you know, con men have come in and they've said, oh, emperor, let us knit you this beautiful. And they don't have a clue what they're doing. They're just adopting this con sort of style and the emperor's walking around can totally convinced he's got this brand new set of clothes on and he is buck naked 
And sometimes I feel like that's our church, right? We've just sort of, it's not really, I'm not mad, and I don't think anybody's are, are really mad. We just like, God, we just want to help ourselves get dressed. <laughs> you know, we want, to, we want to move toward more of what, and you're totally right, John, the organic chemistry of the church was jacked up in the beginning. They had to develop deacons, and the Greek women weren't getting fed, and somebody was drinking too much wine at communion, and the poor were coming in early, eating all the food, and like, man, this is screwed up. And then they're like, well, we got this all together in Jerusalem, and what happened? Persecution! Everybody out! You know, it's like water in a rat tunnel, man. They just dispersed. So you're right. God is always adjusting and forming his family and forming his body. And we always deal with the single same issue that they dealt with. Fallen human nature. Sin. It's still here. It still sucks. It's still don't understand it. You know, death was defeated, but <laughs> here we are still dealing with it. That is good. Yes. Can you, did he, let me pause you here. Anybody not know the story of Balaam? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure we're not taking anything for granted. Um, yeah, so, you know, the king hired him as a god Yeah. Exactly. Through a donkey. Yeah. Cool. How about we stop there? This is rich. It's good stuff. Hey, uh, again, I can't, I can't stress enough how I love this. Um, do, is this good for you guys? I, I, I really, really, this is rich to me. And you know, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to confess this. If we have 45 here and 45 down south and 45 on the west side and 30 over here and 20 and 15, I think the Lord will say to to us as his family, well done. Well done. We don't have all the answers, John, to your point. But I'm telling you, if we just submit ourselves to it and let him mold the church the way he wants, it's rich. And then you can come excited as a participant and not a passive viewer. That's just not how the church was supposed to be. Daniel, why don't you close tonight in prayer?